Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day! Welcome aboard the Starship Zero-G Science Fiction, Fantasy and Historical Radio. Our podcast title is Star Trek, The Next Generation, Regenerated. I'm Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. So, we are going to talk about Picard, as Q would say, and also the new science fiction movie, Megan. Yes, M3 (laughs) Gan, also known as... (laughs) This is going to get tricky, isn't it? It's, yeah, I think let's just admit there's a stylization. We'll ignore it, and the movie's just Megan. Yeah. <laughs> okay, now Star Trek Picard season three on Paramount Plus. Well, they've dropped their first couple of episodes. This is the third and final season of STP. Mm-hmm. This, of course, features Sir Patrick Stewart revisiting his role as Admiral, retired Mm -hmm. Jean-Luc Picard in the 25th century. Now, season one concluded after some epic space adventuring with Jean-Luc bidding farewell to his old shipmate and friend, Commander Data, and remarkably Picard's own consciousness being transferred to its own android body. Yep. Yes, like data, but without the enhanced strength, speed, and other cybernetic enhancements. <laughs> so it really has made no difference whatsoever. And that's the, exactly the purposes for the story, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> but I wonder if Patrick Stewart would actually like that in real life. <laughs> Season two saw Picard and his new crew of misfits, including the former Borg Seven of Nine, who you will probably remember from Star Trek Voyager, travel back through time to Earth's 21st century where they work with a <laughs> new Borg queen to save the future, in creating a a benign Borg collective Mm -hmm. along the way, which is a really mind-boggling sort of concept. Benign and Borg don't go together in my mind. (laughs) No, it does sound like some kind of a Swedish tennis-playing pop group, doesn't it? Yeah, it's like Return of Benign Borg, (laughs) back on circuit again. (laughs) Oh, dear. Also, the Q popped up in that too quite literally, John Delancey, as well as Guinan. And you know that through the first two seasons of Picard, they'd been kind of trying not to go so nostalgic with the cameo, yeah. but they failed. Yeah, <laughs> they ended up just going leaning in from what I understand. After trying to kind of strike out on their own a bit, they went, well, no, let's just do what we do best. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and then they completely do like a whole time travel series, mm. an alternate universe, you know, all those tropes that work so well in Star Trek. Well, season three mm-hmm. sees Picard embark on a new quest to rescue another old friend mm-hmm. and shipmate, Dr. Beverly Crusher. Oh, Dr. Bev. Yeah. Formerly Chief Medical Officer of the Enterprise D, who is in dire trouble beyond the borders of the Federation. So, yes, mm. she is. A doctor without borders. Now, 
She appeals to Jean-Luc for help in spite of being estranged from the Admiral and her other former colleagues for over two decades. Wow. Yeah, so they haven't really gotten together, none of the reunions, you know, nothing. Which is not the way it is in real life. They all hang out with each other all the time. I love that. There's 10 episodes of this new season Mm -hmm. and they have really surrendered to full-on 90s next-gen nostalgia. Yep. And they are reuniting with most of the old Enterprise D Prime crew. Mm-hmm. So Riker and Diana, who we've seen okay. before in yes. the series, Geordie LaForge. Oh. And my favourite, Worf. Ah, makes a return. Wow. Yes. With a new Klingon weapon at his back. <laughs> <laughs> and Brent Spiner returns too, but not as Data. Right, okay. Mm. Interesting. So we've got Terry Metalis serving as the showrunner, and he's worked with Star Trek before, of course, and also did the 12 Monkeys television series. That was a 12 Monkeys television it was. series? It was. Four me. seasons on the wow. Sci-Fi Channel. Oh, there you go. And he was also a showrunner on the new MacGyver for CBS. I've actually only seen one episode of that, and I'm afraid it just doesn't quite – the mullet, you know, just <laughs> – the Swiss Army, it's just not kind some, of... Some things aren't meant to be revived and rebooted and redone, I don't think. Yeah, look, it is its own thing and it was successful enough. He also worked on Star Trek Enterprise mm-hmm. and so on. He kind of knows this okay. stuff. Yeah, yeah. And Jonathan Frakes is actually directing a couple of the episodes. So oh, good for him. Number one is number one, quite literally, on the yeah. scene. Now, you asked me this last time. It's produced by CBS Studios mm-hmm. in association. And, and you know how they do this now with so many production companies. A secret hideout, Weed Road Pictures, <laughs> and also yeah. Roddenberry Entertainment with Gene Roddenberry's yeah. son. You know, yeah. so. Right. So they all felt the last Next Generation movie, Star Trek Nemesis, mm-hmm. in 2002, which was, to be honest, was a real disappointment. Yeah. They didn't feel like that that was a, a proper – Farewell. Sending off of that crew and story, yeah. Yeah. And so they've decided to do it in these Picard. And have they given it a better send-off this time around? Well, I've only seen a couple of episodes to the third season, so I can't tell. Mm. But, you know, we've seen the boy Wesley, Guinan, everybody has sort of popped up along the way, and it's great to see them again. And, yeah, I've got the warm fuzzies for that too. I've actually got more sort of feeling for the Next Generation cast than I thought. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, and I'm a dip in, dip out Star Trek fan, I think Next Gen has always been the one that has felt the most, you know, rewatchable with the most longevity, with the most nostalgia and comfort. And I think, you know, it kind of makes sense that they've decided to go down that road with this because obviously the draw card is Jean-Luc Picard, but also that chemistry that you spoke about between the the crew so Hmm. well let's have a little bit of music here i think Mm -hmm. and this is the first season credits for star trek picard and it's quite a lovely little theme and you know they're calling back (laughs) that that flute that um had in one of the episodes yeah actually appears in this one it's one of his um what would you call it his kibble (laughs) not his tribble but his kibble Actually, this is the season two main title from Star Trek Picard. I'm Catherine Janeway, the captain of this ship. Can you hear me? Zero G is fun, as you were. Yeah. 
We have just heard the Season 2 main title theme by Jeff Russo from Star Trek Picard, STP, mm. with that characteristic signature Picard, uh, Resican Flute from the episode Next Generation, The Inner Light. I didn't even have to look that up, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's all stored in there. Such a tragic... <laughs> All right, so here we have Star Trek Picard Season 3, and essentially it is another nostalgia trip as they go rounding up the old seven samurai crew of (laughs) the Enterprise D. None of your bloody A, Bs or Cs, the D. Although one of the other alphabetical big Es does show up in this story, as well as the USS Titan, which was Will Riker's ship. They've done a really nice job on the bantering fellowship between Picard and Will Riker. It's very mm-hmm. easy to watch. Yeah. You know, like they're sleeping in some bunk beds on one of the ships because there's no other accommodation available. Riker's up in the top bunk or something. <laughs> He's saying, this is humiliating. I haven't been like this since I was a cadet. But I didn't have to get up to pee as often. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We've seen some of this sort of stuff uh, on Star Trek Lower Decks, the animated uh, comic sort of orientated show, and elements of that animated series which are certainly manifest in this live-action show, like the bunk beds that they have on the Lower Decks and some other things too. Picard and Riker in the tradition of very naughty Star Trek officers, they break all the rules and all the regulations to achieve their mission. Oh, good. (laughs) aided by, yes, Seven of Nine, who's still copying anti-Borg prejudice, victim-blaming much. I'm surprised to see that coming from a serving Starfleet captain, but there it is. You do need some antagonism or else you just have a flat show. That Borg implant that she wears over her eye, Mm. um, I swear that looks like a xenomorph from Alien Universe. I don't know. (laughs) Anyway, if you remember Raffi, one of the new Picard crew members, mm-hmm. she's on a deep cover mission for Starfleet Intelligence to track down a stolen super weapon, which no doubt will be one of the main MacGuffins. Yes. Mm-hmm. We get to see an uprated space dock orbiting Earth, and it's a mighty structure, oh. as well as the USS Titan, which I mentioned before, plus Dr. Bev's starship nice. and, a, and a new hostile. And you can always tell there's a hostile spaceship because it's got – pointy bits at the front. That sort I was going to say it's got spikes <laughs> of some kind coming out of it. Yeah, and yeah. yeah, There's lots of familiar music in this season, much more than the other ones, mm-hmm. uh, mostly from Next Generation, particularly from um, Jerry Goldsmith's first contact score. Nice. Uh, which is a great score. Yeah. We'll play some of that. Look, so far I'm, I'm very satisfied with it. I laugh that they just couldn't get past the nostalgia. Yep. They're still pretending that they're going to have a lot of other stuff in there too. And, yeah, they'll move the whole thing forward. It's really weird, though, because, you know, we're all over the place in in Star Trek now. We've got Discovery that's set way in the distant future with the Federation having fallen and then reformed. And, you know, it's a complicated thing now. And we've got Strange New Worlds, which is set well before Next Generation in the 24th century and Captain Kirk's time. Yeah. (laughs) You know, so we're They're capitalising on everything, I think. They've yeah. got a lot of irons in the fire. Yeah, as they would say in Mythic Quest. Now, the <laughs> we, I'm enjoying this. I'm along for the ride. Mm. Season two was a bit muddled in yeah. places. 
Yeah. But I think they managed to come to some kind of landing with that, and, and I hope they do with this one too. You know, so when this one finishes, we'll still have Strange New Worlds and yeah. Discovery and Lower Decks and Prodigy. Maybe by then we'll get Michelle Yeoh's Section 31 yeah. series going. She's a busy woman. All right, I actually saw her in a stunt clip from a movie that she did with Jackie Chan, and oh my god, the, the stunts that she did just so dangerous. Yeah. yeah, she's amazing. I don't think they'd let her do that these days. She's too valuable. Mm. Actually, it's because Jackie said, "Look, you can't keep doing these things because I have to top them." Exactly, and she said, mm. uh, <laughs> "And that one, Picard's on Paramount Plus." You said, "Yes." Yeah. I did want to say that the U.S. American actress who played the Borg Queen mm-hmm. in Picard passed away. Oh. U.S. American actress Annie Wershing, mm-hmm. March 28th in 1977 to January 29th this oh. year, 45. She died of cancer. A great tragedy, actually. A fine actress. Of course, she was the Borg Queen. Also, she did some voice acting and motion capture for The Last of Us video game. She was playing the character Tess. That's right. I did hear that the actress who had played Tess in the video game had passed, and I didn't realise that she was also in Picard. Mm. She also appeared in Star Trek Enterprise in a a completely different role back in 2002, and she's done a lot of uh, walk-on cameos in, like, Frasier, Angel, Birds of Prey, Charmed, Boston Legal, Supernatural. Natural 24, she had a fairly substantial role in that. Castle, The Vampire Diaries, the science fiction series Timeless, she had a, a big regular role in that. And, of course, in Runaways, she played Leslie Dean, the leader of the Church of Gaborim. Oh, of course, yes. Uh, Carolina's mum. Yeah. So, you know, a lot in the genre, really. So it's very mm. sad to hear that Annie Wershing is no longer with us. So I've got a, a fairly reflective piece of music here. Mm-hmm. It's called Welcome Aboard. It's by Jerry Goldsmith and it's from Star Trek First Contact Motion Picture Score. So let's go over to that. Hi, I'm George Takei and I play Admiral Sulu in Star Trek. Welcome aboard the Starship Zero G. Admiral? Hey, a guy can dream, can't he? Oh, very, very pensive, nice choice. Yeah, and that little riff of the Borg at the Mm. end there. Locutus. Resistance is not futile. Star Trek First Contact, one of the great Star Trek movies with the Next Generation crew and one of the great soundtracks with Jerry Goldsmith too. For sure. Well, (laughs) we go off to another. Well, we had Android Data and now... Yes, yet another. So we're going to talk a little bit about Megan today. So Megan, (laughs) this is going to get confusing, but just to clarify, it's Megan, not Megan. I'm not a killer doll. Uh, Megan is a sci-fi horror thriller comedy released towards the end of last year to surprisingly quite a bit of audience and critical acclaim, as we'll get to. It's by Universal Pictures and directed by Gerard Johnston. Uh, This is actually only his second film. He's from New Zealand and he did a 2014 film called Housebound. He wrote and directed that one, and it's about a woman returning to her family home, but something's not quite right. 
and, you know, horror ensues, of course. Um, and Megan is produced by James Wan. So he co-wrote the story. He's the mind behind Saw, Insidious, The Conjuring, Annabelle, so on and so forth. And he saw something in Housebound. So he liked that blend of comedy, horror, and that's what he uh, brought his attention to Johnston as a director and thought, might be a good choice for this film. So Megan's written by Akila Cooper. Akila Cooper, she's written Hellfest, Malignant. So she's got a bit of chops in the horror movie genre. And she's also going to be writing the sequel, Megan 2.0, which is slated to release in 2025. It's also got music by Anthony Willis. He's done the score for How to Train Your Dragon Homecoming and the excellent film Promising Young Woman. And... So this one, again, as I mentioned, so it is in the sci-fi kind of realm and it's about sentient AI. Now, this is sort of something we've seen before in addition to a mixture with like the killer doll genre. And, you know, we've got the AI kind of wanting a mind of its own, things like Ex Machina, Her and so on. And then, you know, obviously killer doll genre, which, Rob, I think you've got some thoughts on. Well, rogue robots and dangerous AI, look, given that that's a, such a seminal science fiction cautionary trope. It's a wonder we've got robots and AI at all, but, you know, nobody ever listens. So <laughs> it's just like that. How uh, how many times does a scientist have to sort of try to be the voice of reason and then he's dismissed, or a scientist is the cause of the problem? It's like we don't know which way to turn. It's almost like there should be a song, a protest song. How many roads must a scientist tell you not to walk down? <laughs> Look, There are so many examples of this in the genre that no human being can possibly compile a complete list. So I've dodged the EMP. Bullets don't work well against most bots and cyber brains. And and I was simply instructed by Hell 9000 Computer to do a Skynet search for titles. Oh, here's the result ready to hand. (laughs) What's it say? Shall we play a game? Uh Uh-oh. Useful. Look, forget about that. Look, you all know all of that. So it's a sub-genre of creepy... Killer creepy doll. Yeah. I want to <laughs> drill down into a bit here. On the one porcelain or vinyl stub fingered hand, you've got your franchises. You've got your Chuckies, your Annabelles, the Puppet Master. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. And as we know, James Wan's Dead Silence mm-hmm. has a cameo of his Billy doll from the Saw franchise. Oh. So that's a big feature of that too. And Stuart Gordon's 1987. Dolls movie. There's the talky Tina doll from the Twilight Zone in 1963. Uh, in that, a woman buys a doll, and the woman's name is Annabelle. Oh. Now, could there be anything more designed to make you say nope than an isolated doll museum hidden away in the woods in the 2004 South Korean movie The Doll Master? I mean, that would be just like you just go, uh, I'll see you back in town. Yes, and by no means am I going to investigate this any further. Well, actually, hold my bucket of blood. There is actually something worse. There's a maniacal clown doll. Oh, no, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> Tobe Hooper's Poltergeist movie in 1982, and there's never a chainsaw around when you really need one. And there's a whole movie cleverly entitled Clown Doll in 2019. <laughs> I give dishonourable mentions to countless self-possessed ventriloquist dummies. Oh, yeah. There's the 1940 British horror anthology Dead of Night. Mm-hmm. There's a creepy Venn dummy in the Twilight Zone that was so nasty that they did two episodes about it. Oh. <laughs> Same doll. 
you know, different character. There's Mr. Sin from the Talons of Wang Chiang in Doctor Who. There are tribal fetish figure dolls. I'm looking at you, the Karen Black hunting Zuni doll from Richard Matheson's 1975 television horror anthology trilogy of terror. And there's a sequel to that too. I just found out about that in uh, 1996. So you might want to check that out too. The Steel Fanged Dolls from Barbarella, that's another one. You know, so there's just so many of those circulating in the genre Mm. here and there. And, you know, we'll get on to uh, Megan in context of those. We'll have a track first, I think. And, Megan, you picked this one out. Yes, so I thought to lead into our piece, um, Megan has a lot of skills. She has a lot of knowledge. Of course, she has the internet at her fingertips, but she also is quite a good singer and likes to entertain her child companion with a little song every now and then. And it, you know, likes to make it a little creepy as well. So I thought we'd listen to her, uh, Megan's take on Titanium. The cover is composed by Anthony Willis and it's also got Jenna Davis doing the lyrics and Jenna Davis did do the voice of Megan in the film. So this is a cover of course so let's take a listen to this take on Titanium. This is George Romero and I wouldn't be caught dead listening to Zero G on 3 R FM. How good is that? That is uh, Megan's take on Titanium with that little backing score, which goes quite nice and creepy towards the end by Anthony Willis, who also does the score for Megan, and vocals there by Jenna Davis. So what is Megan? So as mentioned, we're looking at a little overlap of sentient AI trope with killer doll trope. And this is quite refreshing because often we have sentient AI is some kind of sexy adult woman, you know, and she's love interest. There's a whole bunch of stuff wrapped in there. We've really just totally abandoned that here. So this take is a very schlocky and fun and quite satirical take on the sentient AI. This time it's in the form of a life-size prototype doll companion called Megan. And Megan is the brainchild of roboticist Gemma. She's our scientist in question, uh, a young woman herself who created Megan while working for the big conglomerate tech toy company, Funky. And I think you see enough <laughs> of Funky that it certainly gives me a lot of like, this is firmly great tech company satire right here, overlaid with toy satire and all of that. Like it's so cleverly set up from the offset, which is a little fake ad for one of Funky's products. So basically um, Gemma has this doll prototype she's been working on, Megan, and she ends up pairing it with her niece, Katie, after Katie unexpectedly comes into her care, Gemma's care, after the death of Katie's parents. So this is not a spoiler. This is the whole premise of the film. So, of course, so Katie and Megan, doll Megan, bond, and that's the whole point is that if you have AI or a machine learning model, you are meant to teach it and put input into it and let it grow and learn. So from Gemma's perspective, the more time Megan and Katie spend together, the better. Megan will continue to learn, grow, and be a healthy, happy, wonderful tool for the busy parent. Of course, events ensue as Megan becomes more sophisticated and much more overly protective of her companion, Katie, with some bloody terrible results. Um, It's quite a timely concept. As you've mentioned, we have seen plenty of evil or possessed dolls on screen before, but this has also got a nice overlay of mixing in 
in that technology getting out of control, our over-reliance on technology for parenting and potential consequences and so on. And I think especially in this, the age of chat GPT, I think Megan has come at a really good time for people to start thinking a little bit about, about that kind of thing. So let's talk a bit about the cast. Alison Williams plays Gemma. So we've seen her before in the pitched perfectly get out. So she was in that and she's been in a, was in the TV show girls and a couple of other movies. She's actually kind of been in a few thrillers. So I think she's sort of carving a bit of a name out in that, in that. So she plays Gemma, the roboticist who creates Megan. I thought maybe with the character of Gemma, go with me on a little bit of a thought experiment on this. Okay. Yep. Okay. Brilliant roboticist, engineer, mm-hmm. has to deal unexpectedly with the loss of her sibling and also basically become the guardian of a young child, which she is totally not equipped for. Oh, not in her plans, not in her skill set. <laughs> she has toy collectibles that she could give to the kid, but, you know, they're collectibles. They're not to play with. You know, the, the whole science geek trope. So this is my thought experiment. She is basically trying to build her way out of an emotional commitment situation. Absolutely. And if you changed her name to, let's say, T-O-N-I, Stark, she does exactly what Tony Stark would do in this situation. Yeah. She's trying to build her way out of it. And it's one stage I even hear the distinctive sound of a repulsor powering up. It's a sound effect for one of the uh, the bots in the film. Yes, yeah. You know, so, you know, and I just think this is – I would not be surprised to see Stark in the same situation. I do think it's – they actually treat it really nicely in mm. that – it becomes quite clear that that's what Gemma is doing. She's trying to, she, she's very over her head. She, her main skill set is this being a creator and an inventor and her career. And she's seeing this as the way she can use her skills to help her niece, but in fact, it's doing quite the opposite. And I actually find it quite refreshing that it is the science geek trope, but you know, there's a female protagonist. There's a lot of women in this film. I think that's a bit refreshing that for it, the, the misguided scientist is old woman equality. <laughs> well, you know, it, it brings to mind another uh, person who's not exactly really good at raising kids, Ripley. Yes, in the Aliens yes. franchise, and there's a lot of call-outs to Aliens in this one Oh, as yes, well. there's a lot of clever little nods. But, yeah, I think Gemma is actually a deceptively interesting character. At, at first, you know, she seems quite 2D, but Alison Williams does a great job playing her. I think she sells it really well, and her chemistry with Katie, played by Violet McGraw, is as strained and awkward as you would want it to be in this kind of situation. And I think Katie is great at playing. She's, I think she's nine in the film. She's acting out. She's obviously gone through a lot and becomes to rely on Megan quite a lot for her emotional support. And I think that young actress plays it really well, that kind of the different stages that she's going through with her grief. So all of this is in the film, like along with a really campy killer doll storyline. So it's quite interesting. Um, Speaking of our killer doll, we do have Amy McDonald and Jenna Davis as Megan. So Amy Donald does the motion capture movement and the on-set staff, some of the stunts and so on. So she's the one who's there present when they're filming. But Megan is a mix of like an animatronic puppet. So there is a puppet as well that they use for close-ups and sometimes controlled by a puppeteer. And that's mixed with the footage of, of Amy Donald. 
And uh, in post-production, they'll put, like, the puppet face over Donald's face. She wears, like, a green screen mask or something like that. Waiter Workshop from New Zealand, shout out to um, Southern Hemisphere. So they worked on the some additional effects for the physical performance of Megan. So as you will see, if you see the film, there's obviously bits of movement that would be difficult for a child to emulate. So there's some extra special effects there. And Megan's design was actually very inspired by Yi oldie screen sirens like Grace Kelly, Audrey Hepburn, Kim Novak, but they wanted to also give her a bit of a 70s aesthetic, which you can kind of tell from her outfit and hairdo and so on. She reminds me a bit of Lady Penelope, which is interesting from Thunderbirds because oh, yeah. um, Weta Workshop also does the uh, the Thunderbirds Go series. She's got that British flag neck bow yes she's wearing and the the a-line dress and the ballet flats and all that sort of thing you're right it's very much an it girl sort of star thing yeah 100 percent. so her aesthetic is very well thought out then of course we do have jenna davis doing megan's voice including the singing like the ditty that we heard earlier well speaking of the soundtrack of the movie let's hear another piece from that and it's called she's still plugged in it's by Anthony Willis from the Megan Original Motion Picture soundtrack album. This is Rob Sherman, and you're listening to Zero G. More horripilations from Anthony Willis's soundtrack to Megan. Back in the studio with Rob Jan and Megan McHugh, talking about the new science fiction rogue AI killer doll horror movie, Megan. We've got a range of supporting characters, but we're really centering around our trio of Gemma, Katie, and Megan. Uh, Ronnie Cheng, I want to shout out to him as the CEO of Funky, the toy company that Gemma works for. So, you know, they make these Furby-like toys, and then obviously Megan is a big step up. And so Ronnie Cheng does a great job kind of, you know, swanning about the film, playing kind of the hassled CEO, and he really is sort of playing himself, if you've seen, you know, Ronnie Chang's great, but he's largely a comedian. Yeah, we've um, seen him in uh, Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings and Godzilla versus Kong. And yeah. It's nice to actually see him playing a, a major uh, villain role in this. <laughs> yeah, he's obviously having a lot of fun with it, as I think, because he has one of the more fun roles as well. I mean, poor Alison Williams is there having to be, like, really put upon and tortured the whole film, but Ronnie Cheng's kind of leaning in and having a lot of fun as that CEO. Yeah, like I said before, it's really just held together by – yeah, Alison Williams and Violet McGraw kind of acting with Amy Donald and this puppet that's playing Megan. And I thought me- the design of Megan, the movement of Megan was amazing. And I think that's a real standout for the film that made it work so well because she's so like uncanny looking. She's that great mixture of creepy, sinister, uncanny, but meant to be sweet or like what someone's idea of sweet is. And so, yes, Megan as the third character, I think, really shines here. <laughs> She's right in the valley, isn't she? Yeah. Yeah, just enough like a human being to be creepy. But when she can do things that are non-human, yeah. because there's no reason why her joints have to stay within the no. normal range of a human beings, and they don't. No. Uh, there's no reason why she should have to be a biped, and she no. isn't. <laughs> no. Uh, 
And that's, you know, obviously that's where we start to get some nods to things like the exorcist and so on. So some other horror tropes are brought in when we talk a little bit about Megan's modeling and movement. And I think, yeah, her giant eyes, which, you know, are the symbol of cuteness, like what makes things cute. But then her expressions mixed in with like her little cute appearances. Oof, yeah. I wouldn't want to pass by her in a dark alley, that's for sure. Shout out to the costume designer, Daniel Crowden, who worked on um, the Hobbit franchise. There's a lot of New Zealand talent in this too. It's great. Uh, Avatar, The Way of Water. And this reminds me that this costume is going to be a Halloween costume. And what a great one. Like, I really think, <laughs> Megan, let's bring her into the zeitgeist. Let's make her, you know, an icon of our time, which I think she already is kind of. I you think it would be really cool if, if someone was dressed up as her in, at Halloween and had in tow their, their little sisters and brothers and that dressed up as Chucky and yeah, uh, Annabelle. Like a gang of them. <laughs> oh, God. Because <laughs> you know that'll happen. Because oh, I think yeah. there's, a, there's an Annabelle versus Chucky sort of thing and, you know. <laughs> Oh, wasn't it a creepy shot when she's sitting amongst a group of soft plushy toys? Yes. It's so well done. Like just some of the great set pieces. And I think my scenes that I particularly enjoyed were the ones where Megan is showing how much she's learning and listening uh, to those around her. And I think part of, you know, what they're hinting at there is, you know, I was to joke about, oh, you know, such and such as listening to our conversations and, the bits where Megan's starting to show she's evolving and learning and kind of freaking out her creators. I thought that those were really well done and and quite tense and and funny as well uh, and played to really good effect. Overall, I think this was a really fun ride. I was pleasantly surprised. Like it was funny. It's smart. It's surprisingly well done. Like, I mean, maybe I shouldn't be surprised. I just think a lot of the elements came together really well. Uh, I think while there's nothing entirely new here, um, we've seen plenty when AI goes bad, but it's smartly written and well acted and timely. And I think they've not tried to go too preachy about it while still saying, oh, look, maybe there's a little message here that we're trying to say, but they're not kind of hammering at home. <laughs> what were your sort of takeaway thoughts? Well, I thought this this is a robot badly in need of Isaac Asimov's Three Laws of Robotics. Yes, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> you know, R. Megan, uh, she's not exactly where she should be. No. This. But they do actually cover that because this is a hurried sort of commercial yeah. development. Yeah. And then the damn thing costs $10,000 per unit. Yeah. And, and I you think, know. and that's real, like in terms of companies will rush things or there'll be something that's not ready or something's a prototype. And so they'll forget to like put in some kind of parental control or they'll forget to add some kind of safety guard. Mm. And I think that really, it's quite the reflection. And I think it's used to good effect in the movie of like, Megan is clearly not safe for release into no. the public. No, the, the, it's still in beta. You know? <laughs> exactly. And all of those satirical elements are just yeah, really done so well. In amongst these nice notes about, yeah, dealing with grief and children's attachment styles and things like that, like it's doing a lot, but it's also just so simple in what its, you know, its mission is. Do you think there's a more serious film buried in this that, that could have gone the way of like Spielberg Kubrick slash Kubrick's AI or like her? Yeah. Well, I actually think there's just enough of the serious stuff in here, they probably could have done, I mean, in the dark ending, I guess 
Katie and Megan's bond is so strong and Katie's emotionally damaged forever because of her attachment with Megan, never gets over her parents' death and, like, kills Jenna or something. There's definitely Mm. a much more serious film you could go with this. Mm. (laughs) Maybe for the sequel, who knows? Well, this is what I wonder. I think they have left the door open, uh, which is what I like, but I also found it to be fairly satisfying in its conclusion. Yeah, it's like the final girl syndrome in some of these franchises, uh, like Jamie Lee Curtis appearing yeah, several yeah. times. Maybe there's there's something in that that's going to show up in the... Well, in a way, like I would... Well, I mean, I don't want to spoil the movie at all, but I guess you would want to see some of the characters taking on a new role in a sequel where they're kind of, you know, Gemma the roboticist who created Megan is like anti-Megan now or something and like striving oh, oh, to oh. save, you know? Yeah, Gemma, robot buster. Yeah, and yeah. has to like set out and, you know, track down, blah, 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 or whatever. I have some ideas about what it could be. Maybe I should <laughs> write to them and say, hey, I've got thoughts for Megan 2.0. But uh, there's plenty of directions they could go into. Key- I mean, and look, if we know James Wan, he'll milk franchises until they have nothing left to give. So we'll be seeing probably Megan 5.0, 6.0. Ten years down the track, it'll be like the Megan apocalypse. Totally, and there'll be tons of Megans. There'll be like a full-on like large-scale army of Megans. I mean, what a what a visual though. <laughs> I think I think we've got something brilliant on our hands here, Rob. But I think that's the joy of it. It's like such a simple premise, but I actually think they pulled it off well. It was just super fun. Like I was, I'm going in expecting it to be a bit crap, to be honest, but. I would recommend it as a definitely a fun thriller. It's not very scary. I'd say there's a couple of light, dark moments, but I wouldn't. It's not like some episodes of Black Mirror that just leave you feeling, you know, like a blast, <laughs> an emptied out husk. Yeah. It's much more of a comedy, yeah. uh, a much more of a comedy thriller. Yeah. Look, I enjoyed it too. I, I give it a definitely yeah or yeah or affirmative. It's yeah. such a, a pleasure to see a well-made horror movie. Just yeah doing something in a genre that actually, as we've discussed, has has been mined to death. Yeah. I would love to see more horror in this realm of tone, like comedy, real comedy thriller horror stuff that's silly. Like Get Out obviously has comedy elements, but I think it's a little more prestige. I want to see this level of campy fun. Hmm. So is Nope, actually. I mean, he's the guy who's doing it all, isn't he? <laughs> well, this is it. And then you've got Ari Aster out there making, like, stuff that makes you want to pull out your eyes, but he's really good. I think there's room for your Megans of the world to add into the mix. <laughs> I'm just chuckling all the way through this review, you know. <laughs> all right, let's have another track from the soundtrack, uh, Anthony <laughs> Willis, Model 3. And that's why there's a three in the title. It's Model 3. Generative Android (laughs) from the soundtrack of Megan. All right, here we go. This is Robin Williams, creator of The Science Show, and you're listening to Zero G on Triple R FM. Another track from soundtrack album of Megan, The Mm. Killer Robot. (laughs) And that is a soundtrack album that's available now. Um, (laughs) Everything's, like, available now in the 21st century in soundtrack, (laughs) even before you've seen the show sometimes. Actually, that was always the case. They had to get them into the shops, the, the old vinyl albums, before the movie because of distribution and all that sort of stuff. Model 3, Generative Android. Anthony Willis there. Mm, beware. Uh, 
we were discussing in the break there that the Renfield movie with Nicolas Cage yeah. and the young chap Holt. Yes, Nicholas Holt and Aquafina that played yeah. before. Yeah, played before uh, my showing of Megan and Renfield looks great. It yeah. looks so fun. Cage has done uh, vampire movies before too. He's done everything. He every has. Genre. He just looks like he's having a great time. Nicholas Holt is fantastic at this kind of role. I'm so excited for it. I was anyway, but the trailer, it looks so good and funny and silly and cool. Did you also see the one for the prehistoric one with Adam Driver? Yes, I did. That was very curious to me. Yeah, it's kind of like an alien Jurassic Park futuristic random predator kind of hybrid. Looks like I'm intrigued. He, he's crashed on prehistoric earth or something like that. Yeah. Mm. Also, I got the Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves. That one also looks pretty solid. So got mm. some good stuff coming up. Yeah, isn't it fun going to the cinema again? <laughs> it is. It really I was is. alone in the cinema when I went, except for two ladies who were sitting right up the back and – I guess like me, they're older people. Mm-hmm. I don't ever think of myself as being older, you know. <laughs> Not old, but, you know. And I thought, what are they doing here, playing to the cliche? But as I walked out, I heard them discussing iRobot and Ex Machina and comparing it to me. Fellow fans. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. All right. Now, speaking of fans, big fan of actress Raquel Welsh mm-hmm. or Joe Raquel Welsh, who – was born in 1940 and has died on February the 15th this year. American actress and model, of course, Mm -hmm. and we know her so well in the science fiction genre, Fantastic Voyage in 1966. She got a contract with 20th Century Fox, and so she got lent out, of course, like many of the contract players. Studio uh, system. And also worked on The Hammer movie One Million Years BC, of which, of course, produced this best-selling poster of her in a doe-skin bikini. Of course, there's so many other movies that were important in her catalogue, okay, like Fantastic Voyage, where she played Cora Peters, who was like an assistant laser scalpel operator. You know, so, you know, she made a big splash in that because it's all set inside a human body as they miniaturised the crew to go and perform brain surgery. What a role. <laughs> and, of course, she plays Loanna in One Million Years BC with its yep. uh, wonderful dinosaurs and stuff. And then she's got some really odd roles where she plays, maybe not so odd, where she plays one of the seven deadly sins, guess which one, in mm. Bedazzled opposite Peter Cook and Dudley Moore. That's right, yeah. Yeah. And in a weird little film, The Magic Christian, she plays like priestess of the whip. <laughs> right. Oh, poor love's been a bit typecast there. Well, she did this whole bunch of butt-kicking chick movies, basically, yeah. uh, in Westerns, Bandolero, 100 Rifles, Hanny Calder especially. Oh, fun. Uh, I love all of those. They're, they're yeah. great fun, those movies. And, of course, that wonderful role where she played Constance in The Three Musketeers and The Four Musketeers. If I remember rightly, I think she's like Spike Milligan's wife. Oh. <laughs> in those movies. <laughs> well, you know. Then there's Kansas City Bomber, where she plays a roller derby star. Oh, right. That yep, sort yep. of thing. And she did, like, a lot of television, um, particularly one I really liked her in um, 1982, The Legend of Walks Far Woman, which mm-hmm. was about uh, a Native American. Then there's appearances on Sabrina the Teenage Witch in 1997, <gasps> where she played Sabrina's Aunt Vesta. I've actually been dabbling in a bit of Sabrina lately, and I did – I watched those episodes with her. 
and she was also a guest star in Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. Be still my heart. She was trying to expose Clark's identity. You know, That's, so. I remember those. I remember those episodes. Gosh, she's done some good stuff. Bewitched, and also she played an alien bounty hunter in Mork and Mindy, which is total typecasting. You yeah. know? So she actually had a, a lot to do with the genre. And, you yeah. know, Myra Breckenridge, it's a, a very convoluted, not entirely sane plot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, that's a, another classic one of hers. There's so many movies that Raquel Welsh starred in and really will miss her as an actress. Yeah. I think she had great potential to be way more than what she was in the movies. Yeah. Um, but I'm glad that we saw her in the movies that we did. Yeah, agree. Mm. So we'll go out with a track today. Of course, <laughs> she has a, a celebrity album out there, oh. and that would be A Swinging Summer. Oh. <laughs> I'm Ready to Groove. Love that. I mean, who isn't? <laughs> Well, here's the thing. She did a lot of USO tours with Bob Hope and so on right. in Vietnam, entertaining yeah. the troops and that sort of thing. Yeah. So that's the kind of oh. era that she starred in. And basically that will be it for Zero-G for today yeah. when we go to that. As I said, I briefly mentioned some trailers just before. It's really a full-to-bursting 2023. It is. You know, we've got Ant-Man and Quantumania, which is getting some mixed reviews. Yeah, I'd be curious myself to check that out. And you know what? However it plays out, I guarantee that there'll be the usual, is this the end of the MCU, you know, and even if it isn't, it should be, and all that yeah. sort of stuff. And just think, dude, you know, I think that the superhero movie in one form or another is here to stay. It can encompass so many genres. that You, you could have three or four dud movies, and it's still going to keep going. It's got its own, own inertia. Yeah. And, and I don't mind that. <laughs> Maybe we could dial back a little bit on, on so many superhero television shows, um, although we are yet to have the zombie superhero. Oh, hang on, there's iZombie. She's kind of a superhero, isn't she? Oh, well, okay. Let's go out with... G'day, this is Rob Raquel Jam. Walsh. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring right. science fiction, fantasy and historical. Zero G is broadcast much. live on Triple <laughs> R from Melbourne, Thank Australia, you, every Monday. Thank you, Rob. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.